Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. All right, we start a new series today called Playlist, Psalms About Seeking God. I don't know how many of you listen to podcasts. I, I listen to some podcasts usually every day. Um, it's kind of how I get my news now. Uh, just preferred choice. You can listen to it while you're on the move and on the go. And uh, the book of Psalms contains songs, prayers, and wisdom, and it's a must for every believer's playlist. Uh, I think you ought to be reading Psalms regularly. Why do I say that? Because the rest of the Bible is narrative. It's God's story through history, right? From creation to now and into the future. Uh, And most of the Bible is about God doing and working and talking to other people. But in the Psalms, you're talking to God. And in the Psalms, you can learn how to praise God no matter what problem you're facing. And you can learn how to pray. And that's what I love about Psalms. And so we'll be looking for the next, uh, oh, seven messages. We'll be looking at different Psalms in the Bible or different chapters in in the book of Psalms. Um, So... Here's what I wanted to share with you. A story is told of a king that was in Africa, and he had a close friend that he grew up with. And this friend of the king had a habit that no matter what happened in life, whether it was positive or negative, he always said, this is good. And so one day they went on a hunting expedition, and the uh, King was excited about hunting, and his friend would always load and prepare the guns for the king. And apparently the friend did something wrong, because after he handed the gun to the king, the king fired the gun, and it blew his thumb off. And after looking at the situation, his friend said, This is good, right? And the king said, No, this is not good. And he was so upset about it, he had his friend thrown in jail for one year. Well, you know, a few months went by and the king decided to go hunting again. And this time he didn't have his friend with him. And he decided to go in a territory that he probably shouldn't have, but he did anyway. And the next thing you know, he was in a land where there were cannibals. If you don't know what that is, just ask somebody, they'll tell you, okay? Cannibals eat people. But anyway, uh, they, they were hunting in a land where there were cannibals and they captured him. And they took him to their village and they tied him up and they stacked some wood. They started to fire and they came near to look at their next meal and they noticed a thumb missing. And they were very superstitious people. They didn't like eating, they didn't like eat, eating anything that wasn't whole. And so they decided that they would let him go and they sent him on his way. Well, on the way home, the king got to thinking... And he was reminded of how he lost his thumb in the first place. And he felt really bad about how he treated his friends. So he went to visit his friend in jail and he told him everything that happened. And when he got done, his friend said, this is good, right? Yeah, his friend said, this is good. And um, he goes, no, it's not good. What do you mean? How can it be good that I sent my, my friend to jail for a year? And he says, because if I had not been in jail... I've been with you. (laughs) This is good, right? Well, let me tell you something. 
It all depends on, I guess, how you look at problems sometimes, but have you ever felt overwhelmed? You know, sometimes problems can cause us to lose our perspective, but let's go deeper than that. What happens when life around you begin to crumble? You see, that my message today is very simple. It's called seeking God when the foundations are destroyed. Seeking God when the foundations are destroyed. When you look around today in our culture and in our society, gender, marriage, family, truth, Christianity, the Bible, the church, everything that we deem sacred is being questioned, attacked, and turned inside out and upside down. The foundations are crumbling. What do you do when life seems to crumble around you? I like what Corey Tim Boom said. If you remember Corey Tim Boom, she helped the Jews in Nazi Germany until her and her family were captured. She actually lived through the concentration camps and uh, she wrote, you know, a few books and went all over the world and spoke. She said, There is no panic in heaven. God has no problems, only plans. I like that, don't you? There's no panic in heaven. God's still in control. And God has no problems, only plans. He's still in charge. He's still God. You know, um, they're speaking of World War II and the Nazis in Germany. There was an article entitled, A Compass Saves a Crew. And Owen Edwards tells the story of a World War II sailor who saved lives when he found uh, a compass in the ship's lifeboats after being hit by a German submarine. He said without the compass, they would have never made it out alive. Once everything went crazy, they got in the lifeboats. They didn't know where to go or which way to go, but they had a compass. And what does a compass do? It always tells you true north. And because of the compass they were able to find their way out. What I want to tell you is in today's world, you and I need a compass, and that compass is the Word of God. Turn, if you will, to Psalm chapter 11, and today we're going to look at just Psalm chapter 11, about seeking God when the foundations are destroyed. Look, if you will, at seven verses. This is from the choir director. It's a Psalm of David. So being a choir director, that means they sang this psalm. Many of the psalms were written as songs. And it says in Psalm 11, verse 1, I have taken refuge in the Lord. How can you say to me, escape to the mountains like a bird? For look, the wicked string bows. They put their arrows on bowstrings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's the question we'll answer today. When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord, His throne is in heaven. His eyes watch. His gaze examines everyone. The Lord examines the righteous, but He hates the wicked and those who love violence. Let Him rain burning coals and suffer on the wicked. Let a scorching wind be the portion in their cup. For the Lord is righteous. 
He loves righteous deeds. The upright will see His face. Now when the foundations are destroyed, it says, what can the righteous do? And today I want to answer that question. When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Because see, as God's people, we live in a fallen world and when we see everything go crazy and sideways and up is down and down is up and in is out and out is in, then it gets really crazy. You know, Isaiah said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That is where we live today. That's the times in which we live. So what do we do when the foundations are destroyed? Number one, take refuge in the Lord. Look at what he says again. He says, I have taken refuge in the Lord. You see that tense of the verb there? I have taken refuge in the Lord. He made a decision in the past and he drew a line and he drove a stake in the ground and said, I am going to take refuge in the Lord from this moment forward. He he had that line in the sand. He, He crossed that line of faith and said yes to the Lord and says, from now on, Lord, you're going to be the one that I go to. You're going to be the one that I run to. You are going to be my rock. You are going to be my refuge. You are going to be my shelter. You're going to be the one that I lean on and depend on. He says, how can you say to me, the people around him, the people of this world, escape to the mountains like a bird, just run, just fly away, just, you know, whatever. For look, the wicked string bows. They put their arrows on bowstrings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. And that's true. The wicked never fight fair. They always hide in the shadows and they shoot their arrows at you and they attack you from, from you know, an unsuspecting angle. He says, when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, first of all, you have to take refuge in the Lord. You have to be able to say, I have done this. I I, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and Savior. And I am now going to Him for everything. Okay, I have taken refuge in the Lord. Now let's talk about that because David is the one that wrote this. And when you look at David's life, He wasn't always this way. He became a person of faith. He became a believer. And he learned to grow in his faith. But I want to show you how he learned to take refuge in in God. Look, if you will, in 1 Samuel 23. In 1 Samuel 23, uh, there's a story about David and Jonathan. You remember Jonathan. They were close friends. They were actually best friends. And um, Jonathan's dad was king. King Saul, the very first king of Israel, okay? And back in those days, you know, being the first king of a nation, I'm sure that Saul had plans for his son, Jonathan, to be the next king. Let's keep this throne in the family, son. You're next in line, okay? And yet, when God raised up David to defeat an enemy of Israel in Goliath, All of a sudden, David got noticed and Saul brought him to the palace and kept his eye on him. And as time went on, it became plain that God was going to raise up David to be the next king. And the cool thing was, Jonathan was cool with that. He was all right with that. He loved David and he saw God at work in David's life. And so... One time, 
uh, as Saul got jealous and tried to kill David more than one occasion, finally, for David's own safety, he had to leave the palace and he had to get away from Saul because Saul tried to kill him. He, he threw a spear at him twice. And so David had to leave. And now David was living a life on the run while Saul sent some soldiers after him and he had to live on the run like a fugitive. And at one point, David's very discouraged and Jonathan, when he finds out where he is, comes to see him. And I want to zoom in on this part of the story. It's 1 Samuel 23, verses 15 to 18. David was in the wilderness of Zip and Horesh when he saw that Saul had come out to take his life. So the king Saul is looking for David to kill him. Then Saul's son Jonathan came to David in Horesh and encouraged him in his faith in God. And here's what he said. Don't be afraid, for my father Saul will never lay a hand on you. You yourself will be king over Israel, and I'll be your second in command. Even my father Saul knows it's true. Then the two of them made a covenant in the Lord's presence, and afterward David remained in Horish while Jonathan went home. It says here that he encouraged David in his faith in God. Okay, he encouraged David in his faith in God. We were talking this morning in Sunday school about the importance of a mentor, how Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, spoke into Moses' life and kind of helped him see how to do something a better way. And he was a mentor. And here is Jonathan, and he is encouraging David when nobody else can and nobody else will. And he encourages him to trust God, to put his faith in God. In other words, David, you might be hiding out in a cave somewhere and you can lay low for a while, but you need to make God your refuge. You need to let God be your rock. You need to trust God when all the things are against you, when the chips are against you, when everybody's doubting you. You need to look to God. You need to depend on Him 100%. And trust Him. Make Him your rock. Make Him your refuge. And you know what? Jonathan was absolutely right. Now here's the thing. The reason why we talk about making disciples, the reason why I encourage D groups is because when you're with a few other believers and you're reading the Bible and you're praying and you're sharing what God's saying in your life and what He's doing in your life, you have the opportunity for a few people that know you to speak words to you, okay, that encourage you to trust God, to depend on Him, to make Him your rock and your refuge, okay? Because what Jonathan did for David was awesome, but there'll be times when Jonathan's not around. And even when Jonathan's not around, guess who he is? God. Let me show you what I mean. There in 1 Samuel 23... Fast forward to the end of that book, 1 Samuel chapter 30. Now in 1 Samuel chapter 30, David and his men have been on an expedition. And they haven't been back to home base in a while. And when they finally get back to home base, where their home base was, they come over the hill and there's home base and it's burnt up. The enemy has found their hideout. And their families are gone. Their wives are gone. Their kids are gone. 
the things that are laying around are burnt and destroyed and smoke still coming up because it's just happened. And his men, these grown men that are hardened, tough men, they see the camp is all destroyed. Their families, their wives and kids are gone and they just lose it. They weep, they wail, they, they cry until they can't cry anymore, okay? And as a result, they get so brokenhearted and so bitterly upset that they actually talk about stoning David. We've had enough of this guy. I'm tired of this. I didn't sign up for it, or at least not this long. I'm done, you know? Now that my family's taken away, I'm done. And look at what it says in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. David was in an extremely difficult position because the troops talked about stoning him, for they were all very bitter over the loss of their sons and daughters. But David, watch this, found strength in the Lord his God. Now, how did he do that? Because he had someone become a mentor to him like, like Jonathan that showed him a better way. He had someone like Jonathan that said, David, there's going to be times in life that you have to just look up and depend on God for strength because nobody else is going to help you. And there are times when nobody can help you but God. And you've got to trust Him. You've got to depend on Him. You've got to make Him your rock and your refuge. And so he learned that from Jonathan. And then one day, an awful day happened, an awful thing happened, and Jonathan wasn't there. But guess who was? God was. And he knew what he had to do. He said, God, I've made you my refuge. You are my rock. You're the one I'm going to run to. You're the one I'm going to depend on. And Lord, I'm asking you for wisdom. What do I do? And he basically, if you read the rest of that chapter, he says, God, what do I do? And he says, he starts asking questions. God, do I do this or do I do that? And, and God tells him what to do. And he's able to go find the enemy and they get their families back. And then the morale of the men goes up and everything's good after that. But he found his strength in the Lord, his God. You know, when I was a new Christian as a teenager, I always loved reading the book of Psalms because I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know where to start. And I jumped in Psalms and boy, it just hit you right in the heart. It's like, man, this is how I'm feeling right now. And after seeing David mention that God is his rock and his refuge, I learned the same thing. I can go to God and I can, can, I can depend on him and I can make him my rock and I can make him my refuge. So what I want to tell you today is this. Make the Lord your refuge. Notice he says in verse 1, I have taken refuge in the Lord. He made a decision in the past, and when he made it, it was firm, it was conviction, and it was settled. From now on, I'm dependent on God. He's the one I go to. And I want to tell you today, make the Lord your refuge. Don't wait for the storms of life to come. Learn to go to God now. And then whenever you need Him, He will be there. Okay? He will be there. Number two, when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, take refuge in the Lord, number one. And number two, look to the Lord on His throne. Look to the Lord on His throne. Look in verse uh, four. The Lord is in His holy temple. Now we're talking about, in my opinion, we're talking about the, the temple in heaven. Okay? The Lord, His throne is in heaven. See, there it is. His eyes watch 
His gaze examines everyone. The Lord examines the righteous, but He hates the wicked and those who love violence. Let Him rain burning coals and suffer on the wicked. Let a scorching wind be the portion in their cup. For the Lord is righteous and He loves righteous deeds. The upright will see His face. I love that. Look to the Lord on His throne. Warren Wiersbe says it this way, when you look around, you see problems. But when you look up to the Lord by faith, you see the answer to the problems. And that is so true. I'm reminded of a scripture that Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.19. He says, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. What is that trying to say? God knows the difference between the righteous and the wicked. When it comes to the Lord looking at this world, He sees two groups of people, the righteous and the wicked. That's it. That's why there's a heaven and a hell. And here it says that God's solid foundation stands firm. When the world's foundations shake, God's solid foundation stands firm. And His foundation has this saying on it, the Lord knows those who are His, and anyone who calls on the name of the Lord has to turn away from wickedness. You can't get to heaven living like hell. And so I'm reminded of that distinction between the righteous and the wicked. And I just very quickly want to point you to a couple of stories. One of them is in Genesis 18. You remember when uh, the Lord and a couple of angels uh, visited Abraham. And uh, it says that the Lord uh, said the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense and their sin is extremely serious. I will go down to see if they've if uh, to see what they have done justifies the cry that has come up to me, and if not, I will find out. And the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And Abraham stepped forward and he said to the Lord, "Will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked?" That's his question. Will you really treat the righteous the same way you do the wicked? Basically. You could not possibly do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. You could not possibly do that. Won't the judge of the whole earth do what is just or do what is right? And if you know the rest of the story, the angels remove Lot and his family from Sodom and Gomorrah before he destroys it. God always distinguishes the righteous from the wicked. When you read the book of Revelation, He distinguishes the righteous from the wicked. Those that have um, the seal of God on their forehead versus those that take the mark of the beast. He always distinguishes between the righteous and the wicked. Proverbs says, The wicked one is thrown down by his own sin, but the righteous one has a refuge even in his death. Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament, it had gotten to a point to where corruption was so bad that people said, is it really worth serving God? I mean, you know, people do what they want to do and they don't. nobody seems to care. Nobody seems to see any consequences from their actions. Is it really worth serving God? And in Malachi 3.18, it says, so you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, 
between one who serves God and one who does not serve Him. So yes, God keeps the books. God examines everybody. He knows the scoreboard and He knows who is righteous and He knows who is wicked and that will never, ever change. Notice there's a difference between the righteous and the wicked. Notice in Psalm 11, in verse 5, He examines the righteous. And in verse 7, the upright will see His face. But the wicked, He hates their ways. And He judges them. He holds them in account. Now I'm reminded of a story in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of His robe filled the temple. And I won't get into that whole story, but notice what happened there. In the year that King Uzziah died. What you may not know in that one statement, the year that King Uzziah died, is that King Uzziah, he became king when he was 16 years old. And he was a godly king. He was a good king. Under his reign, the nation prospered. Okay? And he was king, forget this, 52 years. That's a long, good run, isn't it? King Uzziah became king at 16, and he reigned for 52 years. He was a godly king, and under his leadership, the nation prospered. According to scholars and historians, it was one of the most prosperous times in the history since the time of Solomon. But now King Uzziah, this great king, this godly man, is gone. And what do the people of God do? Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He looked up to heaven. He looked to God. He looked to God. Not only when the foundations are destroyed do we take refuge in the Lord, but we look to the Lord on His throne. I love the, the line from In Christ Alone, the hymn, No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from His hand till He returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. Make the Lord your refuge and look to the Lord on His throne. Number three, what, when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Be faithful when put to the test. Let's go back and look at verse 4 again. I want you to see something that I didn't mention. In Psalm 11 verse 4, the Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord, His throne is in heaven. His eyes watch. His gaze examines everyone. In the Christian Standard Bible, there's a little letter there by gaze. And when you go down to the bottom of the page, it says the literal translation of that word is eyelids. But they didn't put eyelids because that kind of sounds awkward in the English language. His eyelids examine everyone. What? So they just say his gaze. And then you get to thinking... Eyelids. You know, the older I get, the smaller things get, right? And you squint. You, you lean in to get a closer look, to, to really size up something and see it as best you can up close. It literally, gaze means 
eyelids. And some think it's a parallel expression to the previous statement. The, uh, his eyes watch, his gaze examines everyone. So they think it's a parallel expression. That could be true in Hebrew. Others think it refers to when you squint to examine something. But consider what you do with your eyelids. Nobody's using their eyelids right now, are they? You know what I mean. Nobody's sleeping, right? What do you do with your eyelids? You close them. And then it got me to thinking. God sees everything. Remember when you were in school? Were you tempted to cheat when the teacher wasn't looking? Or when you were a kid, did you sneak a cookie out of the cookie jar when your parents weren't looking? Here's what I'm trying to say. I think the world today, they look and at times it appears that God's eyes are closed. I said appears. And there'll be times when it seems that He's not looking. And there'll be times when it feels like he doesn't care and things are falling apart. It doesn't look like God's answering our prayers. What do we do when it looks like God's eyes are closed? That's the test. It says his eyes watch. His gaze, his eyelids Examine everything, which means God is always watching even when you don't think He is. And so, C.S. Lewis said it best. He says, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. You see, God's eyes watch and He examines everyone. He knows everything about you and me. And He knows those who are His. He knows the difference between the righteous and the wicked. And so what do you do when the foundations are destroyed? You make the Lord your refuge. You look to the Lord on His throne in heaven. And you depend on Him and pass the test. Because even though nobody else is watching and nobody seems to care what you do, right or wrong, God does. God does. Youth, in our last church, we had a mom that was raising four boys. Great, great family. Her husband died in his 30s of cancer. She raised those boys, all four of them up. You know what she told them? She said, boys, when you grow up, when you go off to college, when you do this, when you do that, mom is not always going to be there. And there's a lot of things you'll do that I might not ever find out. I won't see. Nobody will tell me and I won't know. But I want you to know one thing. God sees you and God knows everything. Woo! That, that, that young woman knew how to put a sense of the fear of the Lord in somebody. You know, in a good way, not a bad way. Because what she was doing, she was trying to prepare her boys for life. And say, look, there will be times when I'm not there. And you've got to find your strength in God. 
And there's going to be times when no one around you cares and they're all going one way and God's saying you need to go this way. You still need to go and follow the Lord. Even when no one else cares, God still sees and God still knows. And in God's book, there will always be a difference between the righteous and the wicked. Never forget that. Even in a world that changes the values and the price tag of everything and says evil's good and good's evil. That's Isaiah 8.20, I believe. Woe to those that call evil good and good evil. There's still a God in heaven. And He knows those who are His. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So let's bring this down. This is it. Notice it says the Lord examines everyone. Did you know that at the end of this life, there's going to be a final exam? Yes, there is. And this final exam is one that you want to pass. Heaven and hell are at stake. And there's an easy way for you to know whether or not you pass or fail that exam. I'll give you one question. And if you can answer this question in the positive from a personal place of faith in Christ, you will pass the test. It's very simple. Paul the Apostle told the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 13.5, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. This is something you should do on your own. Or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless you fail the test. He's talking to a church and he's saying you need to examine yourself to see whether or not you are saved. And how do you know whether or not you're saved? Does the preacher have to tell you? Does a deacon have to tell you? Does a Sunday school teacher have to tell you? Does your mom and dad have to tell you? No, 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 and no. Then how do I know that I'm saved? You examine yourself to see whether or not Christ Jesus lives in you. Period. If Christ lives in you, then He will let you know you're saved. Amen? Thought I'd get an amen on that. I mean, you don't have to be told. He will let you know. You see, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and His Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. And He's the one that lets you know. And once you know Him, you will surely show that you know Him. Okay? And that's how it works. And so examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. It's not about, you know, walking down an aisle. It's not about praying a little prayer and shaking the preacher's hand. It's about, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Does He live in you? And if you can answer that by faith and say, yes, He, he is my Lord and Savior and He lives inside of me, that's all you need to know unless you fail the test. Psalm 62, my last verse. Psalm 61, excuse me, verse 2 and 3. David says, I call to you from the ends of the earth, when my heart is without strength, lead me to a rock that is high above me, for you have been a refuge for me, a strong tower 
in the face of the enemy. Isn't that what it's all about? That, that's David's statement of faith right there. Lord, I want you to know that my heart is give out. I don't have any strength left. I just feel like quitting. I just feel like giving up. But Lord, I want you to lead me to a rock that is higher than I. I want you to lead me to a rock that's high above me. Lord, you are the rock of ages and I'm placing my feet on your foundation. And when the world crumbles, the rock is still under my feet. Remember what Jesus said on his Sermon on the Mount? that if you hear these words of mine and put them into practice, you're like a man who built his house on the rock. And when the storms of life came, guess what? That house still stood. Okay? And then, of course, the person who doesn't hear the word and doesn't put it into practice is like building their house on sand. And when the storm comes, it all goes bye-bye. No matter who you are, the righteous or the wicked, the storms of life come and they reveal whether or not you're on the rock or not. And so I ask you today, make the Lord your refuge. Make the Lord your rock. Learn to depend on Him now so that when the storms of life come, you'll run to God like you always do because He is the rock that is higher than you and I. He is the rock of ages. Let's stand. Musicians and ushers, if you'll come, and we're going to prepare for our time of response and invitation. Father, I come before you right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time to hear your word, to sing your praises. Father, I pray right now that you would speak to each and every heart. And Father, I pray if there's someone here today that's never took that first step of faith, Lord, and put their trust in you, that they would make you their rock and their refuge, that they would find their strength in you and you alone. And Father, I pray we'll learn to do that now before it's everlasting too late. Lord, help us to pass that test. Help us to be able to say by faith that I know I'm saved because Christ is in my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As the musicians play softly, as the ushers, as they collect the next steps cards. You know, we, we've sought God through praise and worship. We've heard God through the preaching of the word. And now it's time to respond to him. And so I want to ask you, have you ever made the Lord your refuge? Is there, is there a, a moment in your life? Is there a line in the sand where you said, Lord, from this point forward, I'm going to put my trust in you and I'm going to follow you. From now on, Lord, you are my refuge. Lord, you are my rock. You're the one I lean on. You're the one I depend on. I pray that you can say right now that yes, there is a moment in my life when I've done that. If not, why not today? Why not today say, Lord, I've lived enough of my life doing my own thing, doing it my way. But I realize that you are God, I am not. And Lord, I need you in my life. I am a sinner. I need to be saved. And Lord, I want to put my trust in you. And I want you to be my rock. Maybe today you can cross that line of faith and say, I have made the Lord my refuge. You see, God is so good. He loves us. 
He sent Jesus to die in our place. He took the, the death that you and I deserve. And when we humbly come to Him and receive Him by faith, He comes into our lives. We're no longer alone. We now have Him with us. And nobody has to tell you that. The presence of the Spirit of God will let you know that. It'll be practical and it'll be personal. And you'll know it by faith in your heart. And you don't have to have me or someone else tell you you're saved because you know that you're saved because you're living by faith in the resurrected power of Jesus Christ. He lives because He lives in my heart. And so today, as we sing, if you've never took that first step of faith, won't you come? We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. And if you have already made that commitment, I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you to be a Jonathan and ask God to show you a David. What do I mean by that? I, I, I pray that you'll look around and let God lead you to somebody that you already know that's in your life that you can come alongside and you can encourage them. You can pray for them and you can teach them by modeling how to find strength in God so that someday, one day, when they feel all alone, they'll know what to do. They'll be able to go to God by faith and get what they need. But they need to see a Jesus with some skin. Will you be that Jesus with some skin to show them how to put their faith in God and how to find strength in God? Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.